The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi confirming CFL Week will not return. The Grey Cup's TV ratings increasing from 2021. Canadian quarterback Curtis Rourke suffering a season-ending knee injury. Riders receiver Ken Schaefer-Baker getting NFL looks. And the CFL giving out its year-end individual awards. But first. The 109th Grey Cup went down this past Sunday with the Toronto Argonauts defeating the Winnipeg Blue Bombers by a score of 24-23 following the completion of one of the wildest fourth quarters you will ever see. There were nine possessions, two interceptions, two block field goals, a potential game-saving face mask penalty, a Grey Cup record 102-yard punt return, and a rookie quarterback in Chad Kelly that stepped in for McLeod Bethel-Thompson. If you got all that, it was an unbelievable display of how unique Canadian football can be. What were your takeaways from the CFL title game? Well, there are a lot of them, Dunkster. I mean, we, we were in Regina for the full week. We saw all the sights. We smelled all the smells. We heard all the sounds. We were in every conference. We, we, I, I think we conducted cumulatively probably in the neighborhood of 100 different interviews. Um, we also had Joel Gass in there. We had BMAC there, and obviously that's why we had so much fantastic content on the site. As for the game itself, uh, I hate to be a party pooper. I, I hate to be a, a negative Nelly. Uh, I hate to be a Debbie Downer. I hate to be all those things. But I found this game sloppy, and I was disappointed by it. I, I really was. The fourth quarter was electric, um, but it was much more of a finger painting than a Picasso. Um, the field surface was great. Uh, the weather, which was originally thought to be, you know, like, like we were originally projected to have, like a minus 16-degree kickoff. We got, we got to zero, boys, on game day. It was like minus two at the kickoff. The weather was not a big factor. The wind was not a big factor. I was expecting um, not necessarily like 500, 500 yards apiece, uh, but I was expecting more, especially from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I thought Zach Kolaris had his worst game of the year. And uh, when your two-time league MOP goes out there and you know what's the bed in a big game, I don't think that's in the best interest of the league. Obviously, full credit to the Argos and going to the Bombers locker room. Every player I talked to, I think to a fault, said the same thing, which was like, you know, full credit to Toronto. We're not taking anything away from them. So I give the Bombers credit for that. But obviously, they did not play their best game on offense. 
and I think those offensive players knew it. That's just the reality, Hodge. I mean, this was a game that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers simply, they would win as long as they didn't lose it. And that's what they did. They they threw this game away with some poor decision-making by Zach Kalaros and some poor play calling, in my mind, by Buck Pierce on offense. Him putting Dakota Prukop into the game in the situations that he did was mind-boggling. Making your third stringer throw a pass in the fourth quarter of a championship game was baffling, to say the least. And obviously, that ent- that ended in a pretty impactful interception in that fourth quarter. I I just didn't understand their game plan. I didn't understand how they went away from certain aspects of the game. Brady Oliveira was running really well. I don't know why you put Prukop on the field to run the ball with him when everyone and their grandmother knows that as soon as he steps on the field, guess what's happening? It's that same play over and over and over again. It just seemed like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers outthought themselves. Now, full credit again to the Toronto Argonauts. We're not trying to take anything away from them. I thought this was a gutsy performance for them. They did not play a perfect game by any stretch. In fact, they played a rather imperfect one, right? Lots of errors. They gave Winnipeg every opportunity to do just enough. But Winnipeg couldn't come up with it, and when it was needed... The Argos made the plays. An individual stepped up at the right moment to do what they had to do to eke out the win. Whether it was Chad Kelly coming off the bench, having that huge, huge first down run. Whether it was Javon Leak as the returner busting a couple to put his offense in position. Whether it was Robbie Smith's redemption story taking that crucial penalty and then just going ham on the blocked field goal to get in there and stop the Bombers from taking the league back with a uh, with a minute left. Each of those players had a moment where they said, okay, it's on me right now. And cumulatively, you put all those things together, it was just enough to get past a Bombers team that simply did not play up to their potential. The Blue Bombers should be three-peat champions, all right? Let's get that straight. After Janarian Grant takes that punt back to the house, Winnipeg is up nine to start the fourth quarter, and you could see a little bit of the deflation on the Argos' sideline, and there was energy with the Bombers, and it seemed like they were going to do what they always do, make the clutch plays at the clutch times and go on to win the Grey Cup rather easily. So this loss, to me, and in my opinion, is largely on Buck Pierce and the inaccuracy of Zach Kolaros. You look at the situation here, okay? Brady Oliveira, after that punt return touchdown, has a run that gets him a first down. He was running very well, physical. The field was about to start to tilt. The Bombers are at midfield. All of a sudden, as you mentioned, both of you, I think, alluded to it. Dakota Prukop comes into the game, throws a pass downfield into double coverage. It looked like there was some miscommunication in terms of the routes or the wrong routes were run because there were two areas in the same area of that football. And I think that's why it made it an easier interception for Shaquille Richardson. But nonetheless, you have your two-time CFL MLP quarterback on the sideline in the fourth quarter of the Grey Cup at crunch time on first and 10 after your, let's call him an all-Canadian running back because I think he was one of the best runners in the league had just run for a first down, and you can see that your big, physical, and talented offensive line was starting to lean on the Argos 
in that fourth quarter. So that is inexcusable. Buck Pierce has been a wonderful play caller all year long and since taking over for Paul Apolise has put his stamp on that Bombers offense. But that play call in and of itself, I think really led to the Bombers losing this game. Now, Caleros could have been more accurate at times, and it just seemed like to me his timing was off. You look like, you look at, excuse me, early in the game, that deep ball that Dalton's shown, if he let it go two or three seconds earlier, it's an easy big play and probably a touchdown, and the Bombers likely go on to romp. There was another play where Greg Ellingson was wide open across the middle on a crossing route. Caleros didn't see him, and I don't think he would necessarily was seeing the field all that well until he rolled out of the pocket and then throws a high pass that, yes, it went off Ellingson's hands, but he couldn't reel in. So there were a number of instances like that. I believe in the second half there was a deep ball where I think it was shown on a corner route was thrown late again and almost intercepted. So Caleros was just off on his timing. The accuracy was not there as it has been for most of his time with Winnipeg. And I think those were the two main factors why the Bombers didn't go on to easily win this great cup. On the other side, you have to fully credit what the Argos were able to do, put together an unbelievable amount of plays to make that fourth quarter comeback. And for my money, the MVP should have either been Chad Kelly or Javon Leak. Leak's return set up both of those touchdowns from A.J. Ouellette. And a lot of people maybe think Ouellette should have got the MVP because he scored both touchdowns. But if those returns don't happen, then I don't believe the Argos are in the game. And I think Kelly actually coming in for McLeod Bethel-Thompson, who, yes, did suffer a dislocated thumb on his right throwing hand, but was ineffective really before that. He was inconsistent at best he was around a 50 percent completion rate on the day so i think kelly actually boosted that offense but without those leak returns i don't think the argos are in the football game and without those leak returns robbie smith doesn't have the chance to sack Kalaros, then face mask him and then block that kick now full credit to smith for blocking that kick from mark leggio but it was low like jc i think that would have hit off your head and you could have blocked it that way it was that low yeah, Mark Leggio told me after the game that he liked the trajectory of the ball. He thought it was a good kick. I've yet to see the reverse angle. I'm curious to know if it would have gone. And worth noting, though, it was a long field goal attempt, but worth noting, the Bombers only down by one point. Even if he misses the field goal, if it goes through the back of the end zone or the Argos don't bring it out, the game probably still goes to overtime. But, you know, boys, you talked about Chad Kelly. Let's get it, re- Let's get it right. Chad Kelly was the best quarterback in this game. And I think that that speaks volumes not only about how effectively he stepped in, right? Obviously, as a big school quarterback, a guy who was in the NFL for four years, a guy who's not afraid to step in under center under those big moments, right? The lights are at their brightest. Chad Kelly stepped up. Also puts into perspective how disappointing McLeod Bethel-Thompson and Zach Kolaris were. Uh, You know, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, number one in the league in yardage. Zach Kolaris, number one in the league in passing touchdowns. Both faltered on the day. Um I'll, I'll go way off the board for, for MVP of this game. Can we vote for Corey Mace? I know he's not a player, but he used to be a player. To me, he was the best player on the day because he made Zach Kolaris not only look like a regular quarterback, he made Zach Kolaris look like a confused rookie out there. Obviously, he did things with that defense that Zach Kolaris was not prepared for, was not expecting to see. That's why he was holding out of the ball far longer than he normally does and, and while, it, you know, typically he gets rid of that football really quickly um, and, and then occasionally is able to battle through and, and, and fight. And by the way, Zach Kolaris told the media on Tuesday his ankle was not really a factor. Obviously, he did suffer the injury. He didn't practice for a couple of days, but 
He's a 10-year veteran. He shouldn't need to practice literally every single day in advance to play. Mike O'Shea said it himself. Even if he had practiced day one, he would have taken seven reps. So I don't think the injury is the cause of this. These were not physical errors. These were mental errors from Zach Kolaris. Um, and Chad Kelly stepped up. There's no excuses, right? Chad Kelly's been in this league for uh, for one year. And as much as he came in saying he was going to become the, the face of the league and throw for 6,000 yards and be Doug Flutie, guess what? When the lights were at their brightest, he stepped up, unlike everybody else. So Chad Kelly, full respect. I'm going way off the board. Co- Corey Mace can be my MVP pick. I don't care if y'all throw out the ballot. I'm writing him in. Corey Mace, bada bing, bada boom, we're done. Well, that's certainly an interesting one, Hodge, but it was an excellent game plan by Corey Mace. Now, I, I spoke to a couple of players in the airport, actually, on the way back from Regina, and I asked them about what their impressions were of Zach Kolaris, and they seemed to think he was affected somewhat by the ankle injury. That's not what I saw, but I, I will lean to their expertise. He just looked like a quarterback who was out of sorts for whatever reason, and that wasn't going to allow them to win a championship game. Now, I I do, we've touched on it a little bit with these MVP picks. It is absolutely ridiculous that the the winners of the Game Time Award have to be submitted with five minutes remaining in a game like this. Think of everything that happened in the final five minutes of this football game. It could have gone to either team multiple times in that span. Heroes were born. Uh, just an incredible finish, but the votes were already submitted by that point. And I don't think people at home necessarily realize that that's a requirement made by TSN so they can get the post-game presentation ready uh they occasionally they make an exception where you can pick okay who who you'd like to see be MVP if the Bombers win who you'd like to see be MVP if the Argos win but you have to get those votes in with five minutes left to me that that takes it away from a guy like Robbie Smith who made what was the most critical play of the game. And I thought if I had had a vote, I was not one of the seven voters, actually would have been my vote over Henock even before he made those plays because I thought he was impactful as a pass rusher, as the MVC. And guys like Javon Leak, Chad Kelly, their, their, their stories had not been fully written yet at that point. So you go with a guy in a defensive game like Enoch Mwamba who has had just an outstanding career who was a real rock for those Ar- that, that Argos defense. But that interception hit him in the hands. Maybe he's not making all of the splashiest plays in that game. Certainly a deserving guy, but there are other candidates out there that had the voguing been able to go down to the wire like the game was. I think we may have seen some different trophy winners. The process needs to change. Bottom line, the MVP and the MVC need to be the most legitimate picks possible. And TSN can get those names ultra quick to be prepared for the post-game celebration on the podium, giving out the Grey Cup, and of course those two awards. So I think that can be condensed because we need to make sure we get them right. And you can always tap dance on the broadcast a little bit till those names get there, but it's not that hard in this day and age to feed down who it is. Okay, first and foremost, that needs to be changed going forward because we need to make sure the proper people get those awards. Enoch Mwamba's full value for both of them with what he did. I'm not saying he's not, but there are other people that could have potentially had a bigger impact with less than five minutes to go. And as we saw, that game could have swung either way. Kelly 
might not have yet become the face of the league, but he became the face of this 109th Grey Cup for what he did coming into the game, leading the Argos comeback, and he was ready to go. I talked to Curly Gittins Jr. after the game, and he said Kelly came into the huddle, and he reminded all of the receivers what their hot blitz routes were, what their checks were. And that, to me, is a sign of a guy that's not a rookie, a guy that's, in fact, beyond his years and knows that he is a rookie and understands how the Bombers' defense might treat him. So he felt like the Bombers were going to send pressure at him, and he wanted to make sure his receivers were aware of those blitz hot checks. And to me, that's a guy that knew the exact situation that he was going to enter in and the definition of preparing like you're going to play. We hear it all the time. But usually, backup quarterbacks come into the game and they're slow to start and really don't develop a rhythm. But from the get-go, he was ready. So Kelly overtook this Grey Cup and was arguably the face of it. And I don't care that he only played in that fourth quarter. He should have been the MVP. Because I believe without Chad Kelly's performance, the Argos are not Grey Cup champions. And he said in the locker room post-game that his price just went up. Well, he's actually under contract for 2023. But his status around the league and the way people feel about him in Toronto and elsewhere certainly was elevated after that performance in the most pressure-packed of situations in Canadian professional football. Getting back to awards really quick, and we should move on because we're going to talk more about Kelly in our next segment, boys. But I also take issue with what you said, JC, about the winners and losers. Can we get past the, the, the MVP having to come from the winning team or the MVC coming from the winning team? Like, why can't you be the best player in a game and lose? Like, like if, if, the, if one quarterback throws for 500 yards and 18 touchdowns and they lose the game, they should still be the MVP for very obvious reasons in, in my view, right? And, and by that logic, maybe we should slap the MOP award at his axe hand. Sorry, take it back. You didn't win the Great Cup. No award for you. No, no, <laughs> no. No most outstanding rookie for Dalton Schoen. No most outstanding well, hold on, uh, JC would Bryant. agree with you because he thinks that Nathan Rourke should be the MOP. Well, his team so even gets right to the great cup. I've, I've got a guy I give the trophy to, to right now. No, uh, if, all, you're, if you're wanting to all, give it up, no, 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 no. All the awards have to go to Toronto because they won the game, right? If they get MVP <laughs> and MVC, then all the league awards take them all back. Like you see how goofy that is. Like you could be the MVP of a game and not necessarily win. Like like that's. That's just goofy. And, I, and by the way, I, I was talking to people in the tunnel. I said, like, why, why is Janarian Grant not, not getting any MVP consideration? Like, well, his team didn't win. I'm like, he literally had the best return in Grey Cup history. And in a, game with very few, in a game with very few big plays, he made by far the biggest play. It was the best he, play of the game. And he got, no, he got absolutely no traction as a potential candidate because his team didn't win. That's in the okay, just calm down with this call in your shot thing because every player before every game is going to tell you if you're a quarterback, you're going to throw for three, four hundred yards and three I touchdowns. If you're it. a receiver, you're going to catch for a hundred and a touch. If you're a returner, you're going to say, "Yeah, I'm going to take one to the house." You better damn well believe it. So let's just. But he dig it. He dig bit. it. So calling your shot as long as you follow through, it's impressive. Yeah, the calling the shot isn't what's impressive. It's following through, right? It's yes. following through, and he did that. But anyways, we we digress. Argo's backup quarterback, Chad Kelly, came darn close, as mentioned, to being named the game's MVP. Though he remains under contract with Toronto next season, there's been speculation that he could be traded to Saskatchewan or possibly viewed as a starter via trade elsewhere in the league. So, boys, I ask you, 
We just spent the whole week in Regina. This is the number one topic of conversation. Who should the Riders have under center? Week one in 2023. Uh, in my mind, if you can get Chad Kelly, he's certainly a more intriguing option than other ones that are on the market. I mean, at this stage, Bo Levi Mitchell's out there, but I think he's going to end up in the East, right? Either with Hamilton, who has his rights, or elsewhere. Uh, you can stay with Cody Fajardo, which I don't think is tenable. Dane Evans is going to potentially be on the market again. That's not a guy that fills me with a lot of confidence coming into a market like Regina, where he's going to face the weight of an entire fan base every single minute of every day. If you can get a guy like Chad Kelly, take a big swing, that to me is the most intriguing option. But I will say this, if I was the Toronto Argonauts, I'm not making that trade, right? If I'm the Toronto Argonauts and I'm looking long-term, I'm going to say thank you, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, who, again, there's been rumors about his retirement. He may step away of his own volition, but even if he doesn't, I would say thank you, McLeod. So happy we got a Grey Cup ring out of you. We know what you are as a quarterback. It's time for us to look to the future. We had a veteran roster last year. I think we're going to be on a little bit of a down, uh, a downward slide this next season. Let's take a swing on the younger quarterback, on the guy with the physical tools, with the potential. I mean, Chad Kelly is still 28 years old. He's not exactly a spring chicken. His clock is ticking, and if you think he can be a guy in this league, you take a swing. As I've said before on this show, if you don't have a top three quarterback in the CFL, then you need to go and find one. And I think consensus is, regardless of the fact that he threw for the most passing yards last year. McLeod Bethel-Thompson is not a top three quarterback in the CFL. He's in the middle of the pack. He's perfectly competent. I, I like the guy, and I think he's going to be extremely successful in whatever he does after his playing career as well. I think he's a great leader. I think he is extremely intelligent. But physical tools-wise, Chad Kelly has more potential in the long run, and I think it would be a mistake for the Argos to to give him away, regardless of what the asking price is for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, because if he does pan out, that's going to come back and bite you in the rear end. The Argos love Chad Kelly for multiple reasons. First and foremost, his skill set, his makeup, and obviously what he was just able to do in the 109th Grey Cup and helping them, and dare I say, leading them to a win. And also, because of his last name, his uncle is Jim Kelly, who led the Buffalo Bills to four straight Super Bowls and is a pro football Hall of Famer. So within MLSE, they believe that that Kelly name is marketable. And if he becomes a star in the CFL, that could be some potential to at least help out the Argos in terms of drawing in that Toronto market where we know it's been difficult to do from a ticket sales perspective. So it would take an offer that would have to blow over Ryan Dinwiddie and Pinball Clemens and anyone else in that front office in Toronto to trade K Chad Kelly to another team. Now, Rough Riders fans are all hot and bothered because a bunch of them went to that Grey Cup and they saw Kelly perform and they want a new quarterback desperately there in Saskatchewan. But unless they're willing to literally mortgage the prairie farm to get it done... And Kelly's going to be staying in Toronto, all right? So if we break down the quarterback landscape across the league, 
super quickly. You have your entrenched guys in a few spots. It's going to be Zach Caleros in Winnipeg. Obviously, he signed a contract extension before the end of the regular season. You have Jake Mayer in Calgary. Taylor Cornelius signed a contract extension in Edmonton, though I think there's going to be some competition as Chris Jones does in bringing guys in there. Danny Machocha, the GM in Montreal, wants Trevor Harris back. If the Ticats don't land Bo Levi Mitchell, which is why I think Orlando Steinauer was very careful with his words, then it's possible Dane Evans is back in Hamilton. The Tiger Cats do have interest in Matthew Schiltz as well, but that will be Mitchell dependent. So you look at those situations. Okay, if Mitchell goes to Toronto, which some people seem to think is a legitimate possibility now, then who are the Riders left with to pick from at quarterback? You have your in-house guy in Mason Fine who's been there developing for two years and who they started in arguably the most important game of the season. So perhaps they go that way. And that would make some sense if they do indeed hire Kelly Jeffrey as their offensive coordinator, a guy that Craig Dickinson, the head coach, really seems to like and vibe with. Jeffrey and Fine would at least have spent some time together, so that could create some familiarity between those two. Other than that, if you're Saskatchewan, you're looking at a forced second marriage with Cody Fajardo or potentially going after Matthew Schiltz in terms of guys that are established unless you're going to go out and make a trade. So there's really not too many options if the Rough Riders can't get Bo Levi Mitchell to put on green and white. And even if Mitchell does go to Toronto, the Argos aren't going to want to deal away Chad Kelly because they believe he's the quarterback of the future. So they're going to want to keep him there. It's an ideal situation if Mitchell does go there for Kelly to learn from Mitchell. And then they have Kelly if they need him to step in and also for the future. Something that I thought about when, when Kelly talked about his price going up is, is maybe the possibility that the Argos are working on an extension with him right now, right? Because you talked about the marketability of the Kelly name in Toronto. I could think of a team south of Toronto that needs a starting quarterback and has reached up, right, that highway there for a starting quarterback in, uh, in the past. Hello, Zach Kalars, right, in 2014. Um, if I'm if I'm the Toronto Argonauts, that's my worst fear, right? Is I'm going to spend two years developing this guy. He's going to be a potential top three quarterback in the league, and he goes to free agency, and the Tie Cats completely outbid whatever I can offer. So, I, I think there's a possibility we could see that being done, right? There's there's murmurings that Nathan Rourke, depending on his NFL future, is going to get a new contract with the BC Lions, especially because boys, as we know teams first of all can now guarantee money as part of these long-term extensions and also they don't lock you into the cfl forever you can sign an extension and still try the nfl right those were two big inhibitors to signing long-term contracts under previous cfl collective bargaining agreements those barriers are not there anymore the question was who should the riders have under center next year to me the answer is bully by mitchell or chad kelly and i'm going to say why we watched Cody Fajardo over the course of three years get browbeaten into submission and crumble under the weight of that entire province where it is more difficult to be the starting quarterback than anywhere else. I think Cody Fajardo could still, could still really blossom in a place like Vancouver, in a place like Toronto, where the expectations and the pressure are lower. I would also put Dane Evans in that category. Dane Evans looked like he lost his confidence this year. He had one great game against Winnipeg to show that he could still be an excellent CFL quarterback. But I think that this, the, the pressure in Steeltown was too much. And if the pressure in Hamilton is too much, 
you shouldn't even go within a hundred yards of Regina. Like, like, come on. <laughs> like, that is not the place for you. Bolivar Mitchell is used to that weight. He's used to that pressure. He grew up in a pressure cooker in Katy, Texas. He's been the guy in this league for 10 years. He knows what's what. And Chad Kelly's the other guy. Because I talked to Chad Kelly before anybody else did. I talked to him after their first practice on Wednesday. Wrote a column about how he had changed his focus from throwing for 6,000 yards to just winning a Grey Cup. And guess what? On the biggest stage in our country as a rookie, he looked down the barrel of the gun. He didn't blink. To me, if you have somebody who could potentially be the guy and actually carry the weight of Ryder Nation, if you can't get Bo, Kelly's the second best option. I don't think they're going to get him for the reasons you mentioned, Dunk. I think the asking price would be far too high. But he is somebody who's, I think, personality and somebody who's... Uh, background equips him well to be the face of the franchise in Ryder Nation, unlike some of the other guys who have crumbled a little bit in the spotlight. And the last thing I will say on on Kelly, there are going to be some listeners who are going to hear this discussion and go, why are we talking about Chad Kelly so much like he is the savior of the CFL, like he is the next great thing? He threw six passes in that game and had one nice run. Good for him, but let's pump the brakes a little bit. Chad Kelly is a guy who's in the CFL not because of a lack of NFL-level talent, but because he's had some significant issues off the field. That's why he was a guy who, who starred in the SEC for Ole Miss, was able to beat Alabama, but drops to the last pick in the NFL draft because he had you know, some drunken, disorderly stuff, some DUIs. It's the same reason he was cut in the NFL. So this guy has significant top-end NFL talent in terms of his arm strength, in terms of his mobility. You saw it flash in the one start he made in the regular season finale. You saw it flash in that Grey Cup. And we don't know for sure that he's going to be able to live up to that potential, that he's going to become anything But again, you've got to be able to be willing to take those big swings, to to take the bet, to gamble on a high-end quarterback. That's how teams are successful. And I think if you look a year ago, this is not all that dissimilar from the situation around Nathan Rourke and the BC Lions making a decision after, again, let's not forget, Mike Riley was the league's leading passer that year as well, just like McLeod Bethel-Thompson was this season for the Argos. And I'm not – different different skill sets between Rourke and Kelly, of course. But here's a guy waiting in the wings that the, the franchise is very, very high on. And the longer you wait, I'm not sure how satisfied Chad Kelly is going to be. Now that he's won that Grey Cup, he's – He's fixed his mindset to be able to do that. How long he's going to be happy waiting in the wings, knowing he has the skill set to be a successful CFL quarterback. One thing before we go on, I have this great marketing idea. I'm going to share it on the podcast here for free. On behalf of Craig Reynolds and Ryder Nation, you can do it. Thank me later. The tallest building in Regina, they always show it on TSN, is the Mosaic Potash Tower. I think that starting now, because we are officially in the offseason. Potash, riders, isn't it Potash? Potash, oh, it might. I, I don't know. Potash, or let's go with that. I think the riders should send up white smoke 
from it every single day until they eventually find their quarterback, where whether that's this month in December or the new year, set up white smoke every night at the same time at like, you know, 8 p.m. or whatever. It probably has to be early so you can see it, 6 p.m. And then when you find they have a quarterback, set up green smoke, right? It's like how they pick the Pope. I think that if you have a Regina equivalent to the Pope, it's the starting quarterback of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So white smoke, green smoke, make it happen. That'd be amazing. Oh, come on, Hodge. You're going to make Kogi Fajardo cry. Hey, he could be the guy. He could be the Green Smoke still. We don't know. I don't know about that. I'm not sending up Green Smoke for Kogi Fajardo at this point. Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke admitted that he risked making his foot injury worse by returning early from surgery and said his foot wasn't exactly where he wanted it to be when he played in the West Final. He has NFL workups lined up, workouts lined up, though they've been pushed back as he recovers from the flu. Dunk, what do you make of Rourke's recovery and potential NFL future? First, with the foot, he also told us that flying does not feel necessarily comfortable and might actually make the foot worse. So I think he's going to have to choose his NFL schedule very carefully in terms of travel. So for the NFL potential, he's going to have a number of workouts, interviews, and visits coming up here after this bout with the flu is behind him. And ultimately, it's going to come down to what he feels like is the best opportunity in the NFL or the CFL for his future because that's really what it's going to be about, a legitimate shot to compete in the NFL for an active roster spot and him seeing a pathway to potentially being a starter. Now, some other people from the outside might not believe it in NFL circles or even up here, but Rourke is a guy that I believe can be a starter in the NFL if given a little bit of time to develop. He's shown that in the full year behind Michael Riley can prepare himself to take over a franchise and lead a high-scoring, dynamic offense. And this dude is a real leader. You can tell the way that the Lions were playing for him and the way that they talked about him as a leader, that he has that capability. Now, it's much different to do it in the NFL with the intense scrutiny that you're going to face as a potential franchise quarterback, but I think he's got the tools to do it. So that foot needs to continue to get better. All athletes out there, especially in football, are dealing with nicks and bumps and bruises, so he's going to have to show that come OTAs or any physical activities with this teams with these teams excuse me that are on the field that his foot will be healed by a certain point and I'm sure the doctors will go over him and do a complete physical to do that as well one thing that I think could be intriguing here and I started thinking about this when actually Hodge was talking about the guaranteed contracts in the CFL there is nothing stopping the BC Lions to guaranteeing Nathan Rourke his entire contract If you're going to put, let's say, three years and over $1.5 million guaranteed on the table for Mr. Rourke, that would make it difficult to turn down. Now, I'm not out here trying to spend Amar Doman's or the BC Lions money, but if you want to keep this guy in the CFL, that needs to be a real thought in their mind. Yes, there is potentially tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to be made in the NFL if Rourke becomes a starter. And I think he's going to want to entertain that opportunity with the team here in the near future. But if you put that offer out there, 
that would be awful enticing for a young kid who's coming off a contract where he made about $80,000 this year and balled out as the best player in the CFL when he was healthy. Notice, JC, how I didn't say most outstanding, but I think that would be very <laughs> intriguing. And I think, you know, that number could even be higher because Rourke is that good. But if that's a starting point, you know, $1.5 million or north of it on a three-year deal, that has to make Rourke pause at least a little bit for a team that he really likes and a bunch of skill position guys and an offensive coordinator and Jordan Maximic that he's familiar with. I still think he wants to go chase the NFL because it's a dream, and he played at Ohio University and starred for an NCAA program in the United States, which also proves that he can get it done down there and beat out a bunch of Americans at the position. But that would make this situation even more intriguing if the Lions put that kind of guaranteed cash on the table. If there was one player in the CFL who you should be willing to guarantee an entire contract for, it's Nathan Rourke. And as much as you say you don't want to spend Amar Dolman's money, first of all, he's got the money to spend. And secondly, he's going to make that money back and then some by investing it in Nathan Rourke, who is the most exciting young player in the CFL. You could argue has already become the face of the CFL and has the potential to do so. Because I will say this, Dougster, anybody who says that Nathan Rourke is not, does not have the potential to be a starter in the NFL hasn't watched Zach Wilson play. Because if Zach Wilson is a starting quarterback <laughs> in the NFL, I think not only Nathan Rourke could be a starter in the NFL, but I think you could be a starter in the NFL, Justin. So let's get it straight. Sign Nathan me up. Rourke. I'll take some of that NFL money. Hey, I'll go back there for what they're paying Zach Wilson. And I would still have more passing yards than he had in the fourth quarter last week. I think he had minus 21 against Bill Belichick. So everybody listening at home, you also had more passing yards than Zach Wilson this past week. So should Nathan Rourke pursue the NFL? Yes. We all know the glitz. We all know the glamour. We all know the fame. We all know the fortune. You should try the NFL, at least, if nothing else, to get it out of his system. But he's going to make a hell of a living up here in Canada if he doesn't go stateside or doesn't stick stateside. So the future is bright for Mr. Rourke. The BC Lions would be wise to invest heavily in that future. Yeah, either way, he's finally going to be able to move out of his parents' basement, which is something that I, as a fellow Vancouverite of the same age, can sympathize with that desire. Maybe um, he doesn't want to, Hodge. It worked for him, or sorry, JC, it worked for him last year, right? Hey, hey. He was on a historic he, pace. Yeah, 1.5 I mean, million could buy a really nice, like, thousand square foot bungalow in a shady neighborhood. Just think. <laughs> Well, just just renting the Hodge. There's no way you can you can afford to actually buy it here. He's going to be renting <laughs> anyway. Probably. Nathan what Rourke, are you talking about? If you get 1.5 million, I'm pretty sure you could buy a house. Uh, not a very good one, and he's not getting that all in one chunk, right? It comes over three true. years. Well, he can right? get a nice condo. Either way, I think he should stay at home, enjoy the home cooking, and pack that money away. I don't know. Yes, he, he he certainly had success living from home. I think he got driven to Lions practice by his parents like he was in high school for much of the season, which is an amazing, amazing story that here was the best player in the CFL getting a ride to work in his mom's minivan. But he wants to try for the NFL because of the amount of support he's had from his family over the years, I think he thinks he owes them that much because, as we've talked about on this show before, you are looking at generational wealth if you can go down south and have success 
He's not going to make that necessarily on his first deal. Um, he he may actually get more on a CFL contract than, than his first NFL deal simply because of some of the dynamics involved. He never signed an NFL contract coming out of of Ohio. He had one brief tryout where the, with the New York Giants where they tried to make him into a receiver. He is obviously not that, but he never put pen to paper. And so as a result, his potential earnings are going to be capped because he's going to count as a UDFA, and there is a cap every year for how much money NFL teams can spend on undrafted free agents. He's going to go in that pool, and so there's not going to be a million-dollar signing bonus or or something of that nature like Cameron Wake had when he was at the peak and going down south. It's going to be much less money, but the opportunity – to have that is the same. And Nathan Rourke, I think he feels owes it to everyone who supported him. Again, he moved down to the United States to, to go to high school in Alabama when he was, you know, in his in his junior year or senior year, one of the one or the other. And junior. his his mo- his mother moved with him, right? And so that split up the family. They had to make significant sacrifices for him to be able to do that. And he thinks the payoff of the NFL is, is a way to repay sort of that debt to his family for all the support and financial investment they have put into him. And quite frankly, he's probably right in that regard. And there is going to be an NFL opportunity for him. Because you look at the number of teams interested, there is going to be a landing spot where there is a path, at least, to a number two position next year. And to me, Nathan Rourke is the type of guy, if he can win a backup role in the NFL, behind one of those mid-tier NFL starters, maybe a guy who's towards the end of his career, maybe a guy who's struggled at times, if that guy has to go, goes down or he gets pulled and Nathan Rourke goes in, he is the type of player that I don't see giving up an opportunity. Nothing I've Look, seen from him when he's gone in. Every time he's jumped up a level has shown me that he shrinks from that or he underperforms or does anything of that nature. He always rises to the challenge. And so if he can find a spot where there is some sort of path to the field, I have a difficult time seeing Nathan Rourke failing. With all due respect to Chris Treveller. He found that path. He was a backup in Arizona behind Kyler Murray. So Nathan Rourke is a better overall quarterback than Strebler. Strebler, you could argue, is a better overall athlete. But we're talking about playing quarterback here, okay? So people out there might scoff at this notion, especially some of the Americans that are tuning in to this podcast, that Rourke could make an impact in the NFL. Well, Strebler has shown that it's possible coming from the CFL recently, and Rourke is a much more accurate and refined actual quarterback than Strebler is, who in his own right, he's come a long way, Strebler has, to get another contract in where he is right now with the New York Jets. And you, we mentioned Zach Wilson, like Strebler, you know, if some things kind of break a certain way here and there, could end up seeing some live reps in games for the Jets or Maybe he even ends up the starter. But for Rourke, it shows you that there is a pathway there. He's going to have an opportunity. It's just a matter of whether or not he believes it's legitimate. And I think he will probably go after it instead of going back to BC, regardless if they put a bunch of guaranteed money in front of him, because he'll know that guaranteed money will be there after he exhausts all of these NFL opportunities or sees how far he can take it south of the border. 
CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi told the media during Grey Cup that CFL Week will not be returning in the future, though he acknowledged that the events held in Regina in 2017 and Winnipeg in 2018 achieved, quote, great success, close quote. Is that a good or bad decision from the commission? Um, it's, it's atrocious, uh, quite frankly. And I, I, I know that as commissioner, obviously, Randy Ambrose is at the top of the food chain, but he's not solely making these, these, these decisions. Uh, but this article that I wrote, CF, lack of CFL week makes CFL week, did extremely well on the site. I think it really resonated with people who really wanted to see this event come back. Let's remember the event was supposed to take place in 2019 in Ottawa, reportedly. That didn't happen because of the labor dispute that was upcoming, right? It's hard to get players to show up to an event in March 2019 when in May 2019 you need to negotiate a CBA. Um, That CBA negotiation got testy. It didn't come back in 2020, although it probably would have been canceled anyway had it been planned ahead due to the COVID pandemic. And then obviously 2021, 2022, you're not going to plan mega events in the offseason with the pandemic and shortened budgets. I think there was a lot of hope from fans that this event would be returning in, in March 2023. And let's also get it right. Edmonton is having a five-day combine in May. When I first thought saw that announcement, I thought, okay, this is the return of CFL week. You're going to have a five-day combine. Add in you know, a Hall of Fame dinner. Add in some local events that Victor Kui, the new CEO, president of the Edmonton Elks, is going to help plan. You're going to have the festival for families, all that stuff. And it's going to be CFL week. Lo and behold, it's just a combine. And boys, I love the combine. I know you're both in the same boat. You love the combine, seeing all the prospects come. But the combine was so elevated in 2017 and 2018 because it was attached to these other things, right? The combine by itself commands very little media attention in Toronto. And as much as the stadium there, the bubble at the University of Toronto is a very nice surface for the event, the sight lines for fans and spectators is horrible. You can't see anything. Um, so to me, this is a huge missed opportunity for the league. They're sticking with the global program, which they admitted has yet to create any substantial revenue. And they're doing this despite the fact that they acknowledge that the CFL week is a great success. Now, it's worth noting that Christina Litz, largely credited as creating the first CFL week, is no longer with the league. And this this also predated Randy's tenure as the commissioner of the CFL. The first CFL week was done under Jeffrey Orridge, the preceding commissioner. So to me, I would I would almost look at this as an ego thing. I didn't, Okay, it was successful, but I didn't create it. It's not my brainchild, unlike CFL 2.0. So it has to go away, even though CFL 2.0 has been a disaster and CFL week was a great success. I'd rather stick with my own failure than, than, than acknowledge someone else's success. To me, that's a joke. It's a failure and it's a goofy decision. CFL week should be back. The fact that it's not is goofy. I completely agree with you, Hodge. And I know Commissioner Ambrosi, in sort of blowing off your question about CFL Week, talked about the fact that the league wants to look to the future to find different ways to engage with fans. And I know that discussion is, is largely around the fact that they want to attract new fans, not necessarily old fans. But here's the thing. Old fans are your lifeblood. And to be entirely frank, they've had a rough time of it the last couple of years. And I think you see that in the level of engagement with the CFL from those tried and true Canadian fans. The way that they were treated and jerked around by the league throughout the pandemic. 
throughout the last off season, when all these things that we all as CFL fans hold near and dear to our heart were put on the potential chopping block, were considered, you know, uh, they were they were almost taken away from us, and the league didn't seem to care about our outrage, right? People were hurt by that. That left lasting scars. Your fan base is not as strong as it once was. Your core group doesn't like you as much as they once did. They are starting to turn off the television. And yes, we absolutely need to attract the younger demographic. And we need to go after new fans. This is true. But you can't do that without a core, right? You can't do that without a group that shows people, oh, they there are, there are people out here who absolutely love this league. And I can invest in it because of of all this history and tradition and all these people who are also investing in it. You can sell new fans as long as you have old fans. But right now they've allowed their traditional fan base to feel alienated. They've done very little outreach towards them. And this is another example. A CFL week would be fairly easy to pull off with that combine at Edmonton. It could be an olive branch. It could be a reset. It could be everything that you should have done during the pandemic struggles and didn't. But instead, you're going to focus on new avenues to which we have not seen any any progress yet, any notable uh, march forward. Big ideas and, and nothing yet tangible, and you're going to continue to disconnect from the older fan base that is currently your lifeblood, and you absolutely need to preserve them. And Rosie talked about there being other, quote, touch points, close quote, in the offseason for the CFL, but the only other touch points are something that has his name on it, Randy's road trip. That's the only other touch point opportunity for fans to come out and engage with the CFL in the offseason. There needs to be more. Yes, they have had some winter meetings, let's call it, which are great for the media, but that doesn't do anything with the fans. So, Hodge, I 110% and even more, if I could, agree with your point that Ambrosi just doesn't want to keep it going. It doesn't seem like because it wasn't his idea. This is one of these smart ones that Orridge and, as you mentioned, Christina Litz came up with and executed and pulled off to a high degree, I should say. I mean, we spend a lot of time being so critical of the league, and part of that is because, to be quite honest, we want to see the league thrive because we're proud Canadians, but also we're critical and we analyze it because we think there are things that are easy that could be done to help the league out, and CFL Week would be one of them. I get that you're going to have to invest money in it, but you got to invest money to make money and create that engagement, as JC alluded to, with your long-standing fans and potentially bring in some new ones. I'll give you guys an easy example. All right, I have two nephews and one niece that I absolutely love, and yes, they've grown up around me and spent a lot of time with me, and I cherish that time with them. So they kind of understand what I do for a living. They're getting to that age where they're picking things up. I took them to an Argos game against the BC Lions in October. They didn't care how many people were in the stands there. They absolutely loved the entire day. Now, maybe part of that was because they got to go behind the scenes. We had some media passes from the Argos, so full credit to them. We got to kind of see everything that way. They're on the sidelines before the game. But still, I really took away from that day that it's not that hard. Just get people and young families out 
to the game. I don't care if they got to pay a small amount for the ticket price. Just get them in there and get them engaged because you know what happened? When I was away for Grey Cup with you two yahoos in Regina, the kids wanted to watch the Grey Cup. And who were two of them cheering for? Those Toronto Argos that they saw on that very day in October. So you can't sit up here and make a bunch of excuses if you're Ambrosi the commissioner or some of the other people in the front office that, quite frankly, don't like us when we're critical of them and say that it's all complicated, all right? It was that easy to get these kids engaged in the game and wanting to consume the product. And they're seven, six, and four. So imagine what you could do, not only just in Toronto, but across the league, if you got some younger kids and younger families out to the games, or heaven forbid, if you went out into the communities and had some flag football programs like the NFL does in our country, there is nothing that is CFL branded, as far as I know, from a flag football perspective or otherwise, with the minor programs across this country that the CFL does as of yet. They need to change that, to be quite honest. They need to work more closely with Football Canada and understand how that can benefit them in the long run. Actually invest some money in Football Canada and not just think that they are all high and mighty and above that. Because this is where the NFL, for years now, has taken the CFL's not just lunch money, but breakfast, lunch, and dinner money because they've gotten the young fans engaged all right those same nephews and niece want me to get them a buffalo bills package of gear now i don't necessarily want to do that but it's what they're asking for because the nfl is so front and center with what they're doing in terms of their grassroots initiatives well and and edmonton right jc you talked about the wounded base right was was I the only one slightly disturbed by the fact that commonwealth stadium had like 14 people in it at the end of the year like, that stadium was mostly empty all season. But but when we're talking about Edmonton. We're not talking about Toronto. We're talking about Edmonton, right? And, and when during the pandemic, CFL fans just needed somebody to hold their hand and say, look, we're a great league. We're, we have a great game. We're going to make it. We're, we're going to help you. I know it's a scary time. The world's a little bit scary, right? We're all worried about getting COVID. We're all worried about losing our jobs. But guess what? We're going to be here. And we're going to be right as soon as we can play football again. We're going to be here and we're, we're going to be there for you. The CFL did what? They were silent for months on end. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, we, we might join the XFL. And it's like, what? what? <laughs> You've been silent for your silence has been deafening. And now you're like, yeah, yeah we, might, we might go to the XFL. And then when we ask about it, you're like, well, we don't really know. OK, we don't really know. We're just thinking aloud here. And it's like, OK. And then the XFL stuff goes away. It's like, okay, so you guys are back. Well, we might play four-down football. And it's like, what? What? You might play four-down foot? What? What are you talking? And, and then after, it's like, well, okay, we, we, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. We weren't, we weren't actually going to play four-down football. But, um, okay, we, we did think about it. Um, and, um, yeah, like, like, the handling of that whole pandemic was unbelievably bad. It was a comedy bad. sketch is what it was. It which was is a what you bad comedy sketch. <laughs> and CFL week is a way that you could go into that community in Edmonton and reach all of those people who felt ostracized and lost confidence in this league back in during the, during the pandemic in 2020 and 2021. And you can reach out to them, right? Extend that olive branch and say, Hey, we're here. We didn't handle that well, but we're here now. We're strong now. And we want you to help us be strong and be strong with us. 
and this is just a failing. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm honestly angry about this. And the league it should be embarrassed. The other thing, I talked to a few p- other people about this off the record who more or less set, delivered the message of, hey, CFL Week is great for touching. JC, you touched on this. Is great for reaching out to old fans, but we're trying to find new fans. Okay, why are those mutually exclusive things? Why can't you do both? This is not a choice A or B situation. This is a option A and B. I'm going to have my cake and eat it too, right? You could actually do that in the situation. Have CFL Week and produce online content, right? Have CFL Week, have the Great Cup-like festival, all that stuff, and do your streaming, do your social media. That sounds like a way to build a strong and healthy league, but you cannot build a league that is successful by trying to find new fans and treating your existing fans like crap and taking them for granted. I'm sorry. Moving on. The 109th Grey Cup drew an average audience of 3.12 million on TSN, a 7.5% increase over last year's CFL championship game. Over 8 million Canadians watched a portion of the game, while viewership peaked at 4.7 million late in the fourth quarter. Is this positive news for the league? I think it is positive news. Obviously, any sort of increase is positive news, especially considering that both the previous weeks of the playoffs had either significant or slight dips in their ratings, right? The the Grey Cup going up reverses that trend. It shows you that it's still the premier sporting event in Canada every year, or Canadian sporting event in Canada, I should say. And, and, and that's a positive sign. Now, I would still like to see it get back up to where it once was, right? We are talking about a game who that not so long ago was a lot closer to 5 million than it is now just over 3. And so there still is a lot of work that needs to be done in that arena. But if we're going to harp on the league for all of the mistakes they've made, well, we have to give them credit sometimes as well. And this is a step in the right direction. This is a nice thing to see with a slight upward tick in viewership for the Great Cup. It's a major positive for the league that it was not down and that it was up. I think a lot of people felt like because Toronto was in the game that the rating would decrease year over year. But in actuality, the Argonauts have a pretty strong TV base that usually watches their game. So it wasn't necessarily a surprise to me, although I felt like, after what JC alluded to, the semifinal and final weekends in the CFL were down, that this Grey Cup could potentially be down, especially with the Rough Riders out of it and now the playoffs altogether. I think that's one of the reasons why the playoff ratings were down up until the Grey Cup. But overall, it's a boost to the league. It does show that the Grey Cup is the preeminent Canadian sports event that's put on by TSN. From what I saw of the broadcast, and we were watching with the volume off in the press box, just for replays mainly, but it looked sharp. They had almost 50 cameras there on site, so a lot of unique angles. They had programming for a bunch of the day Saturday and all day on Sunday. I talked to Bo Levi Mitchell on Monday in the airport, and he said they were going essentially from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. from Mosaic Stadium, and that it was a long day, and he needed to go home just to rest from that. It was obviously much different than playing a football game, but still, he felt like it was exhausting from the coverage that they were providing, but it was great, and I think it lends some credence to something that our Joel Gasson has said for a while now. Why doesn't the CFL do more pregame content? Why isn't there more content out there 
on the CFL on their main broadcast provider, their exclusive broadcast provider in TSN. So I th- certainly think that's a point going forward. But overall, if we're talking about the Grey Cup week as a whole, it seemed like there was a buzz in Regina. It wasn't the same as if the Rough Riders were in it, but the events from a media perspective were handled very smoothly. Olivier Poulain from the league office, Lucas Barrett, Herb Fung, some of the people that helped set some things up, even Ariel Zer from the Rough Riders on game day. They were great in terms of the scheduling and showing the media where to go, and I think oftentimes that can get overlooked, but it's very helpful, especially when you're going there with a couple of rooks like you guys. Yes, that was all handled very well. Um, I appreciate the comms people. Um, it was, uh, yes, that was absolutely first rate. I will say, and, and, and look, we've, we've been accused of, of looking for negativity to report when it comes to ratings. This is a positive headline, and shocking, I know. Positive news, you get a positive <laughs> headline. But, yes, we wrote a positive headline. Um, I will say, obviously, every year that I goes by. positive or negative, Hodge. It's factual. Yeah, it's just factual. It's just reality. We reflect reality, 100%. Um, in tw- 2009, 2010, I was looking at this for your, your ratings article, Justin. Over 6 million people watched the 2009 and 2010 Grey Cup. So that's a high benchmark. Obviously, with cable cutting you know, taking place rampantly over the next decade, the Grey Cup will never reach those numbers again. Um and also, let's remember Saskatchewan played in both of those games. So I don't think realistically we're ever going to see a Grey Cup with over 6 million people viewership. But I will say, just five years ago, 2017 Grey Cup, Calgary versus Toronto, one of the least sexy matchups I think you could conceivably have in the Grey Cup, had 4.1 million viewers. So this is a five-year gap. The Grey Cup is still down a million viewers. So this is a nice stepping stone. I'm not taking that away. Let's remember last year was under 3 million. That's the first one I've seen under 3 million probably ever. Um, So this is a nice step in the right direction. Not taking anything away from that. All I'm saying is this needs to be a new baseline from which the CFL has to continue to shoot to grow. This can't be a, oh, we, we got one positive rating. Let's hang our hats on that. This is a basic, this is a building block. The CFL needs to continue building up from there. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2008, the Calgary Stampeders defeated the Montreal Alouettes in the 96th Great Cup by a score of 22-14. to 14. The game was attended by 66,308 fans at Olympic Stadium, which made for an unfriendly atmosphere for the visiting Stampeders. Montreal got a second-quarter touchdown from Avon Coburn and carried a 13-10 lead into halftime. The game's most valuable Canadian, Sandro DeAngelis, kicked four field goals in the second half as Calgary held the Alouettes to a single point in the final 30 minutes. Henry Burris finished the contest with 328 passing yards, 79 touch, uh, rushing yards, and one touchdown, and was named the game's most valuable player after securing the win. Boys, the thing I will always think about when it comes to the 2008 Great Cup is that amazing pre-ga- pre-game speech from John Huffnagel, in which he listed off all the things working against him, including obviously playing against a hometown team in a raucous building and then saying, gentlemen, we got him right where we want him. And the whole room goes ballistic. If you haven't checked that out on on YouTube, please do it. It's amazing. doesn't matter what time of day it is, what day it is, what you got going on. It'll get you jacked up. That speech was awesome. But how about that attendance number? The CFL needs to get back to having to add extra seating 
to stadiums across the country or at least filling up all those seats in the buildings where these great cups are. No kidding. That was the most disappointing part of last week. I know the game was sold out in Regina. There was a lot of Rough Rider fans who didn't bother to show up, however, trying to sell their tickets. Couldn't get it done. It wasn't a good luck with all those empty seats. I want to get back to the days where there's 60,000 screaming fans for a Grey Cup in a packed house. Or more. Let's get to the three-minute drill, fellas. The league unveiled its award winners during Grey Cup week. Zach Caleros, MOP. Lorenzo Malden, MODP. Nathan Rourke, MOC. Mario Alford, what is that? M-O-S-T-P? Yep. Dalton Schoen, M-O-R. And Stanley Bryan, M-O-O-L, taking home hardware. Were there any surprises for you on awards night? Yeah, here's the surprise. Two people voted for Tyson Philpot over Dalton Schoen. Frankly, you should have a credentials revoked at that point. <laughs> Canadian running back Chase Brown has been named a finalist for the Doke Award, uh, Doke, Doke Walker Award, my apologies, presented annually to the best running back in college football. Think he has a shot? He definitely has a shot. He's had an incredible season. He's been the heartbeat of that Illinois team. Do I think he'll ultimately win it? No, I don't. It usually goes to someone flashier. Leading the league in yardage doesn't carry as much weight as as being with a larger program and having more splash plays. But that doesn't take away anything from what Chase Brown Brown has been able to accomplish this season with the fighting Illini. The CFL is moving next year's postseason games from Sunday to Saturday, not including the Grey Cup. Does that make sense? It does, at least, to give it a try. They did this once back, I think it was in 2008, when TSN originally took over the exclusive broadcast partnership with the CFL. So what I would say here is don't just try it once and then go back. Let's give it a couple years, see how it works. Now, the interesting point that's been made to me is you're going to play on Saturdays. That's when U-Sports traditionally plays their playoff games. So CFL doesn't seem to much care for U-Sports in this move that they've made unless they're going to play these games on Saturday night, but then you run the risk of going up against Hockey Night in Canada. So let's see how it plays out over a couple of years, and then we can analyze. The CFL remains committed to its global program, despite Commissioner Randy Ambrosi's admission that it has yet to generate any substantial revenue. Is that a smart decision? Oh, it's a brilliant decision. Get rid of CFL Week. Let's get more globals in there. This man's a genius. Genius. Genius, sports? genius sports. What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, I will give. I'll give. Mr. First of all, okay, this is an aside. I'll give Randy credit for this. He only talked about genius sports a little bit in his address, and I'll also say this: he was hilarious and candid and very entertaining at the media breakfast Hall of Fame induction. By the way, congratulations, Ed Wills and Glenn Suter for their media induction to the Hall of Fame. That's the Randy Ambrosi I want to see during his State of the League address. He was funny. He was candid. He was honest. I wish that we got to see that side of him when he's doing Will the real Randy Ambrosi please stand up? Yeah, because if that's the real Ambrosi, I can get behind that. The politics speak and the bad decision-making, not so much. Canadian quarterback Curtis Rourke suffered a season-ending knee injury with the Ohio Bobcats. How will this affect the future of the younger brother of BC Lions quarterback, Nathan Mark? Well, it's it's an unfortunate situation. I, I think it's probably going to cost him some hardware. He was well on track to being at least 
the Mac Player of the Year for his performance at quarterback for the Ohio Bobcats. Long-term, I'm not sure it has a tremendous effect. He's already put a lot on tape. If he wants to enter the transfer portal, and I have not had any discussions with Curtis Rourke about that, but if he does decide to do that, I think there would be some large Power 5 programs that would be very interested in seeing what he could do at a higher level of competition than the Mid-American Conference, and I think that will still be available to him despite the injury. The Vanier Cup will feature the University of Saskatchewan Huskies and the Laval Rouge Or in London, Ontario, after they beat the Sangafex X-Men and Western Mustangs, respectively, this past weekend. Who you got, Dunk? Ooh, I don't know if I should actually make a pick, because I'm going to be on CBC's panel coverage of this game. I think it will be closely contested, and it's actually interesting. Last year, Saskatchewan played Western at Laval, now you have Saskatchewan playing Laval at Western after the Rouge or beat the Mustangs. It could be a closely contested ball game between two great programs led by Scott Flory in Saskatchewan and Glenn Constantin in Laval, more specifically Quebec City. Two great quarterbacks at the helm of their teams. The senior, we'll call him, and Mason Nias, who was the Canada West MVP, and then Arnaud Desjardins, an up-and-comer, younger pivot, for the Rouge Or, but the guy to watch in this one is JC Avitt's boy, Kevin Mattel, who has been an absolute stud, putting up a bunch of highlight reel touchdown catches during his first year with the Rouge Or, leading the country in receiving yards and touchdowns. He had three touchdown catches in the Dunsmore Cup win over Montreal to help get the Rouge Or into the national playdown. So lots of intriguing players to watch on that broadcast on CPC. Hodge, you reported that Canadian receiver Keen Schaefer-Baker worked out for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Think he'll sign an NFL contract? I don't know if he'll, if he'll sign, but I will say this. I think he's going to get more workouts because his combination of speed, of size is rare. And he's also a guy who is yet to kind of go through that NFL process. He came out during the pandemic the same year that Nathan Rourke did. He was a 2020 draft eligible player. I hope that he gets that opportunity because, frankly, I think he deserves it. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau congratulated the Argonauts on their Grey Cup win. JC, do you seem to hate Trudeau as much as our Twitter followers seem to? I do not hate Trudeau as much as our Twitter followers do. I, I don't think that is physically possible. <laughs> I will say I was in... When we were in Rajaga, we walked by a, a very dirty pickup truck and someone had wrote with their finger... I heart Trudeau on the back, which I guess is the Saskatchewan version of wash me. Um, but man, I, I don't understand the, the level of disdain. Um, I certainly don't share it. The Argos are going to celebrate their Grey Cup victory at Maple Leaf Square on Thursday. Is that a good spot to engage with fans? It definitely is, man. It's in the core of downtown Toronto. Maple Leaf Square for the uninitiated is right outside what is it now? Scotiabank Arena, I think, might still be. I want yes. to say Air Canada Centre, but that was the old days. It's right outside there. It's close to Union Station, so it's easy and accessible for fans to get there. The other one that they had, I believe, before in 2017 was at Nathan Phillips Square, which is a little bit north and is probably still just as easy to get to. But I actually think this is a better spot and one that could bring out, hopefully, a decent amount of fans for the Argos to celebrate that Grey Cup victory. They were at the Leafs game 
on Monday night being honored there. Enoch Mwamba brought the Grey Cup and he'll be at the Raptors game on Wednesday night as well. Hodge, you published Winnipeg's list of free agents with the biggest name being Willie Jefferson. Think he'll be back with the Bombers in 2023? We've already reported, Justin, that the two sides are talking. And Willie Jefferson basically told the media as much on Tuesday saying he will be back. I think most of the names will be back. And I think that Winnipeg, it rightfully so, should be the favorite to win the 2023 Grey Cup. Hopefully, they put together a better performance than they did this past weekend. But congratulations again on behalf of myself and all through Donation to the Toronto Argonauts, the players, the coaches, all the individuals and their personnel departments, people on and off the field. Um, obviously, great win, great season. And we thank you all for listening to the Three Donation podcast. We'll see you next Wednesday. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.